Hi, ladies. Thank you for being leaders in your Bible study groups. Get your green highlighter and green pen so that you can underline some important statements and make notes to help you lead ladies in a meaningful discussion of God's Word. Let's delight in studying and sharing the precious words of the Lord to us. This is the Leader's Guide for John 14 through 16, Abide in Me. I will be going over lessons 9 and 10. I'm starting on page 50. And leaders, please be aware that the first lesson, 9, is three pages, so it's a little bit shorter. Lesson 4 is four pages, so you're going to want to watch the time. And this first lesson, nine, is about the word abide, and um, that may, and I hope, will be uh, bringing up good conversation, discussion, understanding, but keep in mind that there are, there's plenty to um, discuss as we handle lessons nine and ten. So, lesson nine It's time for an abundant harvest. And this is the goal of God the Father, who is the vine dresser, the vineyard keeper, the one watching over the vine. What does he want? Um, Under the box, you can see our Father God watches over his vineyard of believers with more close attention and care than the vineyard owner quoted above. And um, he wants not just good fruit and not just a lot of fruit, but the highest quality fruit. And he is also after an abundant harvest. Then the prayer prompt says, and draw attention to this, just because it still is going to, it brings a point to what this lesson is really about. Pray that the Holy Spirit will give you understanding of your role in bearing the best fruit. So God the Father is doing work and Jesus is the vine. He's doing the work. What's our part? How? And now the question after the prayer part. How is this high quality fruit produced in our lives? And what are the specific fruits that the Lord commands us to bear? So we are set up with that introduction. You do not need to read the passage that, or, or read through the highlights. It's all the same color. But you can ask them a question and tell them this question's not on the page right here. But based on your highlighting, what is the specific fruit that is mentioned in this passage? It should be okay to ask them that question because I asked them that specific question later on page 54. Don't turn to page 54, but they've heard the question already. And the answer is love. So um, if they don't immediately say love, then you may need to say it. And um, then because we want to bear fruit and we want to bear the fruit of love, how do we do that? In the middle of page 51, write yourself a note. And say, let's talk about the key word in this passage, abide. And that's how we bear fruit. So, what, and ask them, what is the Greek word for abide? It is meno. And then what is the Greek definition for this 
word. I have to stay, abide, remain, wait, continue, sojourn, tarry, don't depart. Uh, I said stay, and this can be uh, one Thayer's Greek definition says that this word, when it is used in reference to a place, like a location, then it's staying. And that makes sense with the branch on the vine. The branch stays in its place attached to the vine, on the vine. You can invite others to share what they found. I mean, one person may share a definition and more can share if they found from another resource. I have from a Nelson Study Bible note, it says to dwell, stay, settle in, sink deeper. All right, now we're going to look at and hopefully talk about the question at the bottom of the page. So I suggest that you say... um, that this is a good question to discuss, to spend time on, and um, share how you answered it. So based on the passage above and the definition above, how is fruit produced in our lives? They may answer with one word, and they may say, by abiding. Okay, (laughs) that's right, but let's talk about that some more. How would you explain that? Let's talk about it and discuss this concept. So here's my fuller answer, which you're wanting to draw out from the group. Fruit is produced by abiding in Jesus. Like a branch stays completely connected to the vine. Like a branch gets all its energy and fruit producing ability from the resources of a vine. So that's just thinking about the the extended metaphor that Jesus used. Verse 7 in this passage tells us that while abiding, we can ask for anything. And um, that would be part of our producing of fruit. If we want to bear fruit, we should be looking and depending and asking for God the Father, Jesus the Spirit, to produce it through us. Um, Verse 9 emphasizes that keeping uh, Jesus' commandments is abiding in his love. And he commanded us to love one another, so that's fruit. So keeping his commandments is how fruit is produced in our lives, how it shows up. I hope that you will get comments. They don't all have to match mine, but talking about them, listen. You want to make sure that they are um, focusing their comments on what the passage tells us. They certainly can add in Bible truth from the whole Bible, but we are looking at the passage above and the definition of staying connected to Jesus, abiding in him, depending on him, getting our source. Uh, and, And a branch, if you think about it, I mean, the branch is not doing anything. It's the vine that has the sap and the energy and the production The branch is just uh, holding (laughs) the fruit. So um, respond, hopefully, that they've had good comments and insights and thank them for sharing after you've talked about that for a little bit. Now I'm turning to page 52, 
at the top. You can ask one person to share and then invite others to add to it. So you can say what's written here. There are several specifications about abiding in John 15, 1 through 17. Please list these truths. Can we get someone to share that? And then, um, depending on, well, not just invite others to add to what has been shared. So I will share my points with you from verse 4. Jesus said, abide in me. Well, specification here, abide in him, the one who is the true vine. Don't go abiding in some other uh, weed or bad bad vine. <laughs> and then also abide in him and he abides in me. So that's good news. Uh, from still verse 4, specification, we cannot bear fruit unless we abide in Jesus. Verse 5, he who abides in Jesus bears much fruit. Apart from him, we can do nothing. So there's a much fruit and there's a no fruit. And verse 6, anyone not abiding in Jesus is thrown away and burned. But verse 7, if you abide in Jesus and his words abide in you, you can ask what you will. Jesus will do it. Uh, Verse 9, abide in Jesus' love. And then another from verse 10, if you keep his commandments, you will abide in his love. So I was really just focusing on the verses that use the word abide and the specific details that those verses bring up. We're going to talk through much of this as we continue in our lesson. So that was more of an observation exercise. Let's keep going. More observation we need to emphasize. In the middle of the page, read, some of the things that Jesus tells his disciples and us are so obvious. (laughs) It's surprising he has to say them. But Jesus knows our humanity and forgetfulness and our independent attitudes. So we are going to emphasize now two things that he said. We've already been saying these things, but what does Jesus call himself? Hopefully the whole group will say the true vine. And you're just pausing for them to answer. And what does Jesus call his disciples? You can say, everybody. What do he call his disciples? Branches. They may add that he also called them his friends and chosen and appointed and fruit bearers. They do not have to bring that up. We will bring that up again later. So when Jesus called his disciples branches, just think about this. This is not in the workbook at all, but you can, you don't have to bring this up, but you could if you wanted to. Could it have been a surprising comment to the disciples when he called them a branch? He didn't say, you're going to be little vines, you know, planted by me growing fruit all over the world or anything like that. He's like, "Um, I'm the vine, you're a branch. Might have been a surprise. Now the question here, just open this up to anybody. How does a real branch growing in a real vineyard produce fruit? Wait for somebody to answer. You can ask if anybody wants to add anything. You may have some gardeners. That would be fun. It's really been interesting for me to be listening to vineyard keepers, growers, viticulturists 
they know there's growing vines, grape vines, or bearing fruit is different from growing other types of plants. For one, just here's a little note. You don't really plant grapevines from seed. Now, that's Jesus isn't talking about planting vines and growing new vines. He's talking about the vine bearing fruit, but that's just one vast difference from um, growing corn or wheat or whatever. Okay, moving on. What point about bearing fruit does Jesus make emphatically clear in John 15, 5? He who abides in me bears much fruit. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, in the paragraph below, you see, and you can highlight this and say this, Jesus was about to go away. So the disciples might have thought that they would be apart from him. And they would be thinking, wait, you're going to be gone. Apart from you, Jesus, What? we can't do anything. So how are we going to do anything? Jesus is, as the italicized paragraph says at the end, his entire message about his gift was about his gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit. So go to the top of the next page, page top of page 53. What did Jesus promise in John 14, 16 through 18? That he would ask the Father, who would give another advocate, that he would be with us forever, that advocate, helper, helper, is the spirit of truth. And he abides with you and will be with you. And Jesus said he would not leave us as orphans. He would come to us. So he is addressing this being apart from him with those comments. So based on John 14, 16 through 18, how does Jesus abide in us? He abides in us by his Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is God. He is one with Jesus. The Holy Spirit dwells in me. Jesus said he abides in me. In John 14, 17, the same Greek word minnow is used for what the Spirit does. The Spirit minnow. It's not the form used, but he abides with you. Just as Jesus is saying that we are to minnow in him and he minnows in us. I'm inserting and I'm really abusing the way that I, the form of that verb, but I'm trying to, to reiterate the same verb so that you can recognize it. So I made this summary statement, Jesus abides in us through his Holy Spirit. That's amazing. I'm just reiterating the truths that you have just expressed through those verses. And now we consider this. How do we abide in Christ? In the second paragraph after that question, there are some points that you could highlight. I've put a little dot next to the phrase, life for the branch only comes from the vine. So life is the focus there. Then another point how did we get that life as a branch in the vine? I mean, I'm talking about salvation. So our salvation is by God's grace and our faith. And then the third point, how do we stay alive as a branch on the vine? <laughs> 
by God's grace and faith. God is keeping us. He saves us and he keeps us. And we believe it. So staying alive as a branch is basically abiding. It's knowing that we are in Christ and he is in us by his spirit and we have life in him. So I've added up these points and then asked the question, how do we abide in Christ? By God's grace and our faith. So God has done it and we walk in faith believing it. I do believe in the eternal security of the believer that when we confess our sins and we ask Jesus to be our Savior, He does that and He moves in by His Holy Spirit who is the seal of our salvation, the guarantee. He is the life-giving, regenerate. the Spirit regenerates and gives us life. This is not in the book. I'm just going off a little bit on eternal security right now. Um, because abiding, and as we get to John 15, 6, which we've looked at a little bit, well, some people say that John 15, 6 is, I'm sorry, I have to stop. John 15, 6 is in the previous lesson. I'm not going to talk about it anymore right now because I will just get off on a tangent too much. So <laughs> I'm going to come back to the middle of page 53 and reiterate that. How do we abide in Christ? We do it by God's grace and our faith. Now, over to the side, um, you're going to make a note related to the next sentence. Walking by faith, walking in the Spirit, abiding in Christ, it's all the same thing. You can ask, what do you think about this? Do you agree with it? Do you disagree with it? Does that make sense? Um, can you accept that? So um, the next statement in the workbook says, faith shows itself through obedience to the Lord. Well, James talks about that a whole lot in his book. And um, Paul talks about submission to the Holy Spirit, walking by the Spirit. That's in Galatians and living by the Spirit. So um, I'm reiterating some New Testament teachings there but also saying this is basically what Jesus was talking about when we are branches on the vine. What does Jesus say about obedience in John 15, 10? So walking by faith and obeying, uh, submitting to the Spirit, that's going to show up in obedience. So we're getting into this obedient aspect of what Jesus told us. What does he say about obedience in John 15, 10? If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. We are to obey his commands. And then, what mind-blowing truth did Jesus declare in John 15, 9? He said, just as the Father loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. That really is a wow concept to just pause on. Can you even grasp that? You might ask them that question. Can you grasp that? Uh, it's so mind-blowing. 
on in my workbook, I made some notes of how the Father loved Jesus so that I could think about how that means Jesus loves me. Uh, so I said he, just in my little notes here to myself, the Father loved Jesus perfectly and eternally and faithfully, and he loved him by providing for him. And while he's on earth, think about that, providing for him, directing him, speaking to him. He commissioned Jesus. He gave him a high, huge job and role. He entrusted everything to Jesus. He, the Father, empowered Jesus to obey him. And he was always with him. So, um, you don't have to go into all that, but you should pause and just reflect on that. At the bottom of this page 53, it's a summary of what we've been talking about. Considering our relationship to Jesus in the light of these truths shows us that God the Father loves us as much as he loves Jesus. Jesus loves us as much as God loves us. And we are to keep the Lord's commandments because of our love for him. So as we are thinking about love and commandments, Jesus has said he has kept the Father's commandments because he loves him. And Jesus did exactly what his Father wanted him to do. Here's another page here and then another lesson. So turn the page to 54 and you can ask, well, just ask the question, what does Galatians 2.20 tell us that parallels with what we've been considering? And this is a reflective summary type question. You can have somebody answer it and then ask if anyone wants to add to that. Um, I said that um, abiding is living by faith in Jesus. And the life that I live when I'm bearing fruit is Jesus living in me, abiding in me, living through me. And um, Galatians 2.20 says Jesus loves me. So don't forget that. And then we have another summary parallel question. What does Galatians 3.14 tell us that also parallels what we've been studying in John 14 and 15? This is related to the Spirit. For those in Christ, we have received the gift of the Spirit, which was promised. So the blessing of Abraham, the gift, the blessing that Abraham got, came and to the Gentiles, and we received the promised Spirit by faith. So there's faith again. So being in Christ is having the Holy Spirit. Abiding in Christ is um, having the Holy Spirit living in us and we are dependent on him. And it's, well, dependent, being connected. We've already mentioned the next question. The specific fruit that Jesus brought up was loving him. So you might just say it there in case someone didn't quite catch it the first time. Now you just say it. And now we're going to 
Think about this all one more time. Review it. Summarize it. What have you learned about who God is, who Jesus is, who you are, what abiding is all about? I'd love to hear from more than one person uh, and check your watch, but give ladies time to share and ask if anyone else wants to share. So I broke it into four parts in my answer. Who God is, he's the vine dresser, examining and caring for the vine and the branches, doing all the work needed to make the branches fruitful at appropriate times, like spring training and trimming and post-harvest pruning and all along the way. I love what that uh, vineyard keeper said about living in the middle of the vineyard, continuously knowing how the plants are doing. Who is Jesus? He's the true vine. He's the right vine to be attached to. He is the vine who is... Um, oh, the vine... <laughs> this happens sometimes. Ladies are like, what did I mean when I wrote that? Well, I'm, he is the one who loves me and chose me and made a way for me to ask in his name. So focus on Jesus. And then who am I? A branch, chosen, loved, appointed to bear fruit. And what is abiding all about? What does that mean? I'm just going back to the basic definition, staying, remaining, continuing in. This is dwelling, living permanently, and living permanently in Jesus by the Holy Spirit, by faith. Loving him, obeying his commands, abiding is a picture of intimate, personal relationship and fellowship. Fellowship with the Lord, with Jesus, can be hindered and broken by sin. So if someone does not feel like they're, well, and then Jesus said, if you keep my commandments. So... Not keeping his commandments, living in sin is going to hinder that sense of abiding. But he is never going to leave or break himself off from us. He remains permanently. The Holy Spirit remains permanently in us. Now we're going to go to lesson 10, which is entitled The Valuable Vine. But why did I entitle it that? What's the purpose of the vine? To bear fruit. Go to the first question um, of this lesson. What is the ultimate purpose of bearing fruit? So the purpose of the vine is to bear fruit, but what's the purpose of bearing fruit? According to John 15, 8, God the Father is glorified by our bearing much fruit. And he's glorified when we when we bear fruit, we prove to be his disciples. So there are two phrases there, bear fruit and prove to be his disciples, but they are saying the same thing. They're not different points. And that's going to happen after Jesus, or it did happen, after Jesus' death and after he sent the Spirit. So God the Father is glorified when the vine Jesus has sacrificed himself. When he gave himself and departed, 
then he could send the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit is in us and bears fruit in us. Okay. We have a new concept to look at here. And it's all about love. What has Jesus... Well, <laughs> sorry. It's all about love and keeping God's commandments. That would be about fruit, wouldn't it? What has Jesus been saying over and over again in this message? I should have given you John 13, 34, where he says, A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you can easily just mention that. And then um, we're going to look at the repeated statements that Jesus made. And it's going to be easiest just to go around the circle. You can call on, call on someone to start. We have plenty to get a, a groove and a rhythm and just keep going. So what does John 14, 13 say? And that's going to help you with time management too. John 14, 13. Whatever, Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. In John 14, 15, he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. In John 14, 21, he said, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and I will disclose myself to him. In John 14, 23, he said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our dwelling with him. In John 14, 31, Jesus said, So that the world will know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. In John 15, 9, Jesus said, Just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. John 15, 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. John fifteen twelve. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. That's a very clear repetition of John thirteen thirty four. John fifteen thirteen, uh, Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. In John 15, 17, Jesus said, This I command you, that you love one another. You can see and hear the repetition of these words, love and command. They're just going together. I said below the italicized comment. Maybe you noticed that John 14, 15 and John 15.10 are like mirror images of each other. If you didn't notice it, I've given you an opportunity to do, to do that and asked you to just read them and highlight them again. I have, you could ask ladies if you want to, but you've just read them and you've read them out loud. So I don't think you need to go back and read them out loud again. But the summary of them is below. Loving Jesus will prompt us to keep his commands and keeping his commands will result in abiding in his love. Go to the top of page 57 because it's going to allow for responses to what we're talking about right here. It allows for a response to that box at the bottom of page 56, which I love. So at the top of page 57, read the first question. What is your reaction to Jesus' statements and explanation above? and above means on the previous page, regarding loving him and keeping his commandments. 
don't read the rest of it because that begins to sound too personal and then nobody's going to really want to answer the question if you end with those pointed questions. Don't call on a particular person, but open this up for anyone to comment and share. And we would like to talk about this because what's your reaction to Jesus' statements above regarding loving him and keeping his commandments? So wait, don't jump in with your answer too quickly. You will need to be prepared to share your answer in case nobody says anything. But wait and um, just remind them, you know, we're here to talk about how God's word applies to our lives. And this is you know, the first, first and greatest commandment of all is love the Lord your God. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. So we're really talking about familiar territory here and challenging territory. <laughs> what did I say? Well, my reaction was that I love what's in the box, that um, loving Jesus prompts me to keep his commands. Keeping his commands results in abiding in his love. This is showing how interrelated and inseparable it is. The relationship of the disciple to Jesus is um, like look at Jesus and the relationship with his father. Uh, I know how intimate that relationship is. I know how obedient Jesus was to his father. And that's how I am to be with Jesus. So it's been modeled for me. Wow. So I have, I believe this. I want it. I've prayed for it. Um, and I want to be so in love with Jesus that his commands are my heart and mind's desire. And I also prayed that he would open my eyes of how I am not obeying his commands. And who am I not loving as he loves? And as some people came to mind, I asked for forgiveness of that as well. After some conversation and sharing and discussion, we'll st we are still on the topic of love. And under the box, you can say that. Look at the question under the box. We are still on the topic of love. There are two questions here. What did Jesus say in John 15, 13 that indicated what he was about to do? And then we looked at whether his disciples understood. So first of all, what did Jesus say? So I asked that one question. Let's get that figured out. He said he's about to lay down his life for his friends. Well, he didn't say that. It indicated that he was going to do that, and we know that now. But he was indicating what he was about to do. That he was. You, I hope you understand what I'm saying here. Okay, John 16.5 and John 16.17. Did the disciples get it? Did they understand what was about to happen? Not really. How do we know that? Jesus said, none of you are asking me, where are you going? Well, we have seen that two disciples actually did ask him that question. So I pause and I'm like, hmm, how about that? But they, Jesus is calling them out now and saying, now you're not asking me where I'm going. 
because you don't want to go with me and follow me to death. It's kind of, if we were to expand it and give the fuller picture of what he's communicating. They're not asking, where are you going? We want to go too. And in um, John 16, 17, that's clear. The disciples say, what is he telling us? What's he talking about? In a little while, this and that. Now you see me, now you don't. I'm going to the Father. They definitely said, "What? what's he telling us? All right, we get it. I've written it in the middle of the page. The disciples did not understand what Jesus was telling them at that time. But their lives were evidence that what he promised, he did fulfill. Their lives were evidence. Leaders, depending on how much time you have, you could summarize the examples of disciples' lives from Romans, Philippians, and 1 John. You could just say, we saw examples of those who risked their lives. They were willing to lay down their lives as Jesus did. I'm going to give you my specific answers so that you have them, but you might not want to spend time. You might just want to summarize right there. So, in Romans 16:4, Priscilla and Aquila risked their lives, their own necks, for Paul's sake. Paul thanked them, and he thanked the Gentile churches. So that's showing that others risked their lives as well. Also shows that Paul's life was at risk when those associated with him had to risk their lives. In Philippians 2.30, Epaphroditus came close to death for the work of Christ and did not regard his own life. So he just gave it all and almost died because of his ministry. In 1 John 3.16, John the disciple says, By this we know love. He, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. So he was reiterating what Jesus said, and John's life was at risk. We know that from the testimony, and he was exiled and things like that. For most of us, putting our laying down our life does not mean being a martyr or having our lives physically um, threatened. So the, I asked the question at the bottom of page 57, how do you do what Jesus did if you don't die? How do you obey his command to love like he did? What does this look like in your own life? Don't call on one person, but it'd be great to hear a little something from everybody. And they can be short answers kind of what I have. Think of others, self-sacrifice, help others, care for them, be involved in their lives, give to them, listen, serve, meet needs, give up comforts, be humble. Sometimes you just need to give somebody some time. Just look at them and listen to them. Um, Continuing on to the next page, the last page of our lesson, page 58. Let's get a few reminders of what love looks like. Ask if anyone made notes without rewriting the whole verse down. And if so, would you share that? So, mine are 
kind of listed notes. The first thing I said was, don't talk fancy if you're not loving. And then love is more important than prophecy and understanding mysteries and big faith. And then I said, giving it all away without loving people, it's worthless. And then the more of the regular list of what love is, it's patient and kind and not envious. It doesn't parade itself. It's not puffed up. It's not rude. Um, I'm not to seek my own way or needs or desires. It's not provoked. It doesn't rejoice in sin. Love thinks no evil. Love rejoices in truth, bears, believes, hopes, endures, and never fails. And yes, I ran out of room. Sorry about that. The next exercise was to personalize Paul's prayer about love found in 1 Thessalonians 3, 12 and 13. So ask if anyone would be willing to share how they rewrote that. I said, Dear Lord, please make me increase and abound in love to one another and to all. And please forgive me for not loving. Please establish my heart, my affections, my behaviors. Make them make my heart blameless in holiness. And I really also kind of captured the concept that being blameless in holiness will show as I love others. And this is so that I will be presented blameless in holiness before God at Jesus' coming. The next is um, hopefully um, encouraging. Jesus' whole message to his disciples was to encourage them and prepare them for their mission after his ascension to heaven. What extremely encouraging declarations did he make in John 15, 11 through 17? I didn't give you much of a transition from the prayer question to that question, except that the it is this is supposed to be an encouraging thing now. What are the encouraging declarations? I have that Jesus spoke these things to us that his joy would be in us. So joy, he wants joy for us. Verse 14, he calls us his friends and says we are his friends if we do what he commands us. Verse 15, he doesn't call us slaves anymore. He calls us friends because he's made known what he heard from the Father, brought us into his inner circle. And verse 16, he chose us, appointed us, and did this to so that we would bear fruit and that our fruit, the fruit bear, bore the fruit. How do you say that? I don't know. The fruit we bear would abide. And now let's close noting that one of the special privileges of being a friend of Jesus is the opportunity to ask him for anything, anything that's consistent with his nature and will. And that's what's being emphasized in these two um, next questions. What was Jesus' promise in John 14, 13 and 14? Whatever you ask in my name, he will do. That the Father be glorified in the Son. Keeping the focus on God the Father. Keeping the glory going to God the Father. Always. What was Jesus' promise in John 15, 7? He said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, uh, ask whatever you wish 
and it will be done for you. So, depending on the time left, you might say something about that paragraph at the bottom of page 58, or you may go to the top of page 59. Um, if you're running out of time, then you leaders can just bring a conclusion through the, the, the last paragraph and this truth. Um, or you can, if you've got time, keep talking about it because it's so good. What does Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 te teach us about praying? It tells us that we have a great high priest in heaven. He knows and understands us. He sympathizes with us because he lived here as we did, but he did not sin. That's why he's the perfect high priest. He is before the throne of grace, before God, and we can come boldly to him, our high priest, boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and grace and help in time of need. So we can pray and ask boldly um, for his help and all that. And I just once again say thank you, Jesus, for what you have done. I hope this will be a fruitful, meaningful discussion of these two lessons they are rich, and um, they may have been familiar territory for many, but then again, they could have been um, unfamiliar and confusing territory. So, I thank you for your leadership with your groups and taking them through these verses of Jesus' message to us. Thanks. That's all. Um.